as people, we face a lot of challenges in life, don't we? Good challenges and bad challenges. And I, I was reflecting on some of those challenges this week as I was looking at this Psalm 23 that we're going to be looking at. And it reminded me of when I was grade one or grade two and how I was, there was a season there where I was bullied. I hadn't thought about it for years, but I, it, was, it just came to my mind again today or this week as I was thinking about it. Or another moment which I've, I've referred to several times and that when I was 14 and my mom passed away. That was a, in so many different ways, it was a challenging time in my life and our family. Or I remember a time, a different kind of a challenge when I was in college and, and since God's calling on my life, and I remember going to the gymnasium late on a Friday night and there was nobody there, the lights were off except for the exit lights. I remember laying on the floor just seeking God for what He has for me. Or another time when I was in the Philippines, having spent was probably there about seven, eight months at this point in time. And I remember I, I, there was about a period of two or three days where I just, I just missed home. And back in those days, phone calls were like $5 a minute. There was no text, no mail, or mail, just snail mail, no email, no texting, no phone calls. So phone calls were extremely expensive. And, and I, I just remember feeling so desperately alone. Just nobody to talk to. I had friends there. I even had another fellow Canadian that was there. But for those, there was several days there where I just felt like I needed some of my old friends around me again. Or I remember the time in my in my first ministry when I began to develop stomach ulcers. And that's a whole story in of itself. But that was a challenge when I began getting these, these problems in my stomach. Or as a youth pastor. When the senior pastor left and resigned, and I thought, what's going to happen to me now? Or when I made the, or when we made the move from Saskatchewan to British Columbia, the lower mainland, and I, and I looked for several days while I was out there house hunting, and could only find one house that was way beyond our ability to, to, that, I, that I could afford on a youth pastor's salary. But that was the only house we could get. Or when Vanj and I... And, and our marriage was in a, in, a, in a bit of a mess, and we wondered if we could pull it through. Or when we as a family were living in Calgary, and all of a sudden you know, I had a seasonal job, I got laid off, I couldn't even get a job pumping gas. I was overqualified. What would we do? Or when Ben was in an accident, and I thought, wow, the love of my life, she, she might not pull through this. Or even more so when I had to go tell my, my, my I remember telling, having to tell my two sons, because our, our daughter was with Benj when they had the accident, but our two sons were with us in Hannah. I remember having to go to them on the school playground looking for them and, and almost feeling like it was a deja vu moment when my dad came and told me that my mom passed away. Or when another senior pastor who I was working underneath came and told me, he said, you know, and I knew this in advance, but he said, our finances are tight. And I'm going, yeah, I know that. I've been seeing that for a year because I saw the books and the, the budgets. And he says, we're going to have to lay you off. Look, I mean, there's been some really, really dark times, tough times in my life. And, and those are just, that's just a snippet of some of the ones that we faced. And, and yours would look far different. Far, far different. 
Yet here we stand, here I stand, all in one piece, Vantage here alive. We're still married. We have great kids. God has blessed us with an amazing family. God has blessed us with this amazing church, as I talked about earlier. We love being a part of this church. God is doing some great things here. We're really, really excited about what God has in store for it in the coming months. But even in the midst of those good times, there can be dark times. There can be heavy times, tough times. How do we face those? Last week, we talked about the inner struggle, the inner challenges we face. And we talked about how God can restore the depths of our soul when we're just torn up inside and when we're broken or when we're hurting and we're just all crumpled up and we're like, God, we need you. How God can restore our soul. God promises to restore our soul. That's the inner struggles. Today we're talking about the outer challenges that are happening around us. Not that some of those challenges I mentioned earlier don't affect inside of us, but they're external challenges. And how David faced that. How do we live? How do we move forward? What job do we choose? What career path do we take? What spouse do we, do, do we envision? What kind of a house should we look at? Is God concerned about the vehicle we choose? I mean, there's just a thousand myriad of decisions that we really need some input in. And sometimes we can ask parents and grandparents or, or spouses or friends, uh, give us input, but sometimes we're just going, man, God, if you could just speak to us and give us direction, not just on the difficult things, but on those other bigger challenges as well. David faced very similar challenges in his day. And Psalm 23 kind of is, is the, the, that psalm that talks about how he faced, how he dealt with some of that. Today we're, gonna, we're continuing in this series on Psalm 23 about trusting the shepherd and the king. And we're going to look at verses starting about half, halfway through verse 3 and look at verse 4. But we're going to just read verse 3 to start with, the last half anyways. The last half of Psalm 23 says this, He guides me along the paths for his name's sake. The right paths for his name's sake. The shepherd promises to guide us. He wants to save us from ourselves, from reoccurring evil. He wants us to bring us back to himself by caring for us, by ruling in our lives, by counseling us, by showing us how to live. God wants to be there. He wants, he, he, he wants to give us the right path to walk on. The image there, that word path that he's talking about, is like a is is is, is a, a road that's got ruts in it from, from a, a wagon or a cart. Um, a few years ago, I was in Jordan, and when we were there, we got to visit one Sunday afternoon. We, uh, we, we went to a little, a little uh, archaeological dig that was close to the city that we were working in. And in there, there's the city of Jeresh. And on there, we came on upon these streets, which, which led to the main um, marketplace. And the streets there, you could see them. And I wish I had a picture of them, but the streets were, they were, they were, they were you could tell that they were stone and they were well grooved where the wagons had, had traveled, the carts, the wagons, the people had walked. And that's what he's talking about here. He wants to guide us into a path that is well grooved, that it's worn, that others have walked on. Now, by the same token, Jesus said this, 
about this road to righteousness in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says this. He says, to enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But, he says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus says, the road is well worn, but it's hard to find. And it's narrow. And it's difficult. And the things that you hope would be along that road are not necessarily going to be there. And yet the road is there. Now, the wide road, in comparison, has all the things that we want and more, but it but only leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. But Jesus says he wants to guide us on that, into that narrow path. God says, I want to be the shepherd that guides you along that narrow path. But notice he says there at the end of that, song, at the end of that verse, Psalm 23, verse 3, he says, He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. For his name's sake. You notice it's like Jesus signs the check. He guarantees that his way is best. That his path is the absolute best for us. Not for everyone, because every path is a little bit different. But the path is right for us. He puts his name, he stakes his name, his reputation, his ability to carry out what, what he has said would happen by putting his name on the bottom line. He gave us Jesus and sealed it with a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. We see that as a number of times in the New Testament, but just specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says this, that he set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, whatever God has promised us, it's guaranteed. It, it can't be erased, it can't be worked out, it can't disappear. The heavens could explode, the earth could disappear, but it's guaranteed whatever God has promised us. Eternal life with him is guaranteed. God also guarantees his guidance and wisdom. Now, he may not tell us exactly what we want to hear and when we want to hear it, but he promises that he will. And if you look at the scriptures, you'll see countless individuals who throughout the centuries have trusted that God gave them, asked, or asked God for guidance and he gave it to them. You think of, of people like Noah and Job and Abraham and Jacob and Tamar and Joseph and Moses and Caleb and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Samuel and Saul and Esther and Ruth, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary. I mean, just the list is endless of the people that sought God for the narrow road. And God gave, God gave them wisdom on how to walk in. And for thousands of years since then, God has been giving guidance to numerous saints. All you got to do is pick up a, a few biographies and read through how God has led individuals. And, and, and the path is there. The right path is there. It's easy. It's there to find. And God calls us to trust Him. And so we can trust Him. We can step out of faith and say, okay, God, speak. God, I need wisdom. I need, I'm facing this huge challenge. Speak, move in my heart. Guide me, direct me. 
and he's going to guarantee it. Not, it, might not, it might not come when we want it to. We might have to wait and wait and wait some more. But God does promise that he will guide us. The last scripture of guidance in this, in, that we're going to look at this morning is in verse 4. Where in Psalm 23, verse 4, David says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. This is probably one of the most common parts of this psalm that everybody loves. And that's the part we gravitate to. The darkest valley moments. Because that's when we need God the most. Seemingly. Though we actually should need Him all the time. As I said last week, we talked about how God restores our soul in those moments. Especially the dark valleys. But sometimes those dark valleys can take, take other kinds of views. I remember in 1994 when we took some time out of ministry to get refreshed and I got a seasonal job. And I kind of kind of briefly talked about it at the beginning of, of my message this morning. And at the end of the season of work, because I was working as a landscaper, I, I couldn't find any work. No matter what I tried, nobody wanted to hire me. I was overqualified. We ate into our savings. And yet God provided for us time after time after time for those, those few months that we didn't have any, I didn't have any, any uh, we didn't have any income. But I had no control over that. I couldn't manufacture a job. I couldn't manufacture money. I tried. I tried so many different places trying to work. Nobody was hiring. That was extremely hard when you have a wife and three kids and you're trying to provide. And Christmas was coming. But at the end of that time, God met us in a way that totally astounded us. And God provided a job for me. And yes, it was only a temporary one. And it, it turned out to be exactly as long as I needed until God opened the door for me to get back in the ministry. At the end of that time, we as a family wanted to commemorate that moment. And so what we did is we went out and bought an oil lamp. Because we wanted to remember... We wanted to remember... Work before the service always does, right? There we go. Now that's not very bright, but um, but we wanted to remember God's provision in the darkest of times. In the Old Testament, they called them they called them Ebenezer's rocks, piles of rocks, and, and, you, and you read about that over and over and over again. When, where they would pile up a huge pile of rocks and going, this pile of rocks we want to be reminded of, of God's provision, of, of a covenant, of a commitment. And we need those moments. Not just during difficult times when finances are tough or we, we run into a rough patch and knowing what kind of a job we should get or other kinds of things like that, but other kinds of things. Difficult, dark days when we start facing some things like disease and death. Have you ever thought, I mean, I don't know how many of you ever faced disease and death right close up. I think I can think of four instances, one, two of the disease and two of death, and they're actually connected, surprisingly. But and yet they're not connected. Well, the last one is. But anyways, the first one was when we were visiting in China. Um, 
We had an opportunity to visit a leper colony. I think I've got a picture here on the screen of Benj and I and the others on our team with the lepers there. And I don't know if, if you know, when I was raised as a kid, I mean, they had leprosy, past tense. They'd all been healed. And if you're the medical profession, you guys deal with this all the time. But, you know, here I am, a lay person, you know, you're raised in the church, and leprosy was always so, you know, keep them away, all that kind of stuff. And here I am, first time meeting people that had leprosy. And they told us, they said, greet them, hug them, because they don't get a lot of that, because in their culture, that they're, they're, they're ostracized, they're cut off, they have their own place to live because nobody wants them. And so it was hard to overcome in my mind. I knew, yeah, they don't have leprosy. But in my mind, I think I had to overcome the fear of, of, of leprosy, even though that I could never get it. The center guy, the young guy, right in the middle with a 665 on his shirt, his story was a phenomenal how he was literally cut off from his family because of getting leprosy. He has no symptoms, no, no, no effects of it because he was healed. But he did have to face that whole thing of being cut off. And so that sense of death, even though it was the room wasn't there, the fear of death was very real in my life. I've kept the last three. Death, the fear of getting leprosy. For somehow I, I, I it, it, it had to roll around in my mind, and I remember having to deal with just the stigmatism and all the thoughts that I had of, of, of what that was like. And just going, no, I, we can hug these people, we can shake their hands and not fear the disease. Yet in my mind, I had to get over that. The second one was also on this trip, on this same trip, and we were way up in the back country. Um, team, the guys at least were up there, the ladies, they stayed in the city, but we were kind of quite a ways away, and we had, we were digging a, a hole in the ground, I think there's a picture of it here, um, on the on the right-hand side of the street, you can see it there, and and that was a team of guys with the, the team, the, the, the Chinese crew we were with, working there, and we were digging this pit because we were going to build a water tank, we had to dig down to get a good solid footing, and then we were building a water tank for this farmer because he was helping these lepers that you saw. He wanted to create uh, greenhouses for them so they could, because his father-in-law actually had, had leprosy, past tense, and wanted to help them create some income for them. And so this was his way of helping them. But the thing that happened is we were about, oh, probably this far, maybe a little farther on digging this down. We had to dig between 12 and 18 inches down. And we got a phone call. We didn't have an interpreter on site with us, and so the only way we kind of used sign language mostly with the farmer that we were there. Uh, I think Lee's standing in the front with my dad, got his arm around him, uh, right in front of me. Um, no, that's not me, I'm on the far left. But anyways, Lee's standing in the front here. Anyways, they, we, didn't, we didn't have any way of interpret, interpretation on site, but we did have a cell phone, and we could call uh, this, this guy who would interpret for us, and then we could do it that way. But he called us and said, there's some Chinese officials that are coming to visit you. And we said, well, what's it about? He says, I have no idea. And so we said, okay. So we, we worked all morning, sat down for lunch. As we were getting up from lunch, this group of five or six people showed up, and some police officers and some other kinds of officials that were there, and they talked to our driver and uh, Sam, and uh, he's the one that's standing next to me on the left-hand side there, and uh, he, we chatted, and they talked to him quite extensively, and 
Everything was good, didn't seem to be upset or anything. And then all of a sudden, the senior official, police officer, pointed at us and pointed at the shovels and told us to get down in the hole. And uh, we were all kind of stunned. And we're going, what does this mean? And we're going, and I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the four of us that were standing there, we had this image that, like, he wants us to dig. Well, why is he wanting us to dig more? And then he said something to his officer, and his officer started turning around and was fiddling with something kind of down by his side and stuff. We're going, like, so we kind of talked in English because we knew they couldn't understand us. We said, um, like, is this, is he asking us to dig our graves? I can't remember exactly what we said, but that's, I think, kind of what was going through our, our minds. And we, and we thought, well, we were kind of stalling, obvious reasons. But um, finally, the, the senior guy motioned again for us, and we were kind of, again, really hesitant. And then finally, he grabbed the shovel and jumped down in the hole. And as he did so, his uh, secondary guy reached in and pulled out a camera. And uh, they wanted to take a picture because they couldn't believe these Canadians would come all this way to dig a hole on the other side of China to help people. But, needless to say, in those 20 seconds or however, it seemed like a lawfully long time, I literally thought this was the end. Here we are at the back of a mountain, in the back of nowhere, nobody knows where we are. Well, there were a few people, but I mean, we could just be buried and that'd be it. And we all thought that. The second time I had to face this whole thing of disease and death was about two years ago. Maybe you faced it too when the whole COVID coronavirus came out, COVID-19 came, and the government was announcing the daily death toll. And last week I talked about how I had to turn the news off because it just got me into a dark place. I literally had to come to wrestle with, there's this fear started rising up within me. And I started thinking, what happens if I get COVID? What happens? I mean, I'm 60 years old. What might, I mean, I was only 59. I was 59 at that time, almost 60. But I was thinking, what, what could happen? What would happen? How will my body react to it? Is it strong enough? And what happens? Am I okay with dying? Am I okay leaving behind my wife and my grandkids and my kids? And for whatever reason, because of the amount of news that I was watching, it fed fear into the depths of my soul. And I began to wrestle with both the fear of getting the disease and fear of death. We've known that we, I knew of a youth pastor, a young guy in his 30s, from an Alliance Church here in Alberta who ended up in the hospital. Very serious injuries were very serious, where they didn't think he was going to make it. I'd heard that story. My kids knew him. And so I'm thinking, he's, you know, early 30s. Here I am, almost twice that age. How is my body going to react to it? And of course, we always heard the death toll every day. So many people more died. So many more people died. I mean, that does a number on your, on, on your soul, on your spirit. At least it did online. Maybe you can handle it. But for me, it was a heavy, heavy moment. And I had to deal, I had to wrestle through this whole thing of death again and disease. And still, we still face it because of, of what's out there. But the question is this, 
How is fear impacting our lives? Because David says, even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear what? No evil. Disease is a, it is a result of sin in our world. If we would have never sinned, we would never have disease. COVID would have never happened. Any of the diseases would have never happened. So when we talk about fearing evil, evil and sin and disease, those are all connected. Sin and disease were very much connected in, in, in the biblical mindset. Now, not so much today. But ultimately, that's where, the, that's where disease comes from. It comes as, a, as an impact, as a result of our, of our world falling into sin. So when he talks about fear there, I will fear no evil. Fear is one of the greatest detriments in our world. It's one of the things that leads us to some of the darkest wrestling challenges that we face. I went to one website, they listed over 100 fears. I mean, we all know them. fear of heights, claustrophobic darkness, evil demons, spiders, mice, confined spaces, cheese, whatever. I mean, there's, there's fears limited over everything. And they've actually, I went to another website, Wikipedia, and they listed over 200 fears with actual names, including coronaphobia, fear of catching COVID. I'm going, wow, one of my fears is named on that list. But that's what we have to wrestle with in our lives, is how do we deal with these fears? Whether it's COVID, whether it's death, whether it's this or whether that, I mean, we could face sicknesses, we could face car accidents, we could face heart attacks, we could face, you know, lung problems, we could face cancer. There's so many different things that we can face. Tumors, so many different ways that we can face. So many challenges. But the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we allowing the fear to feed us into darkness? Or are we allowing, trusting God that he is in control? And that's where I had to get with the whole COVID and death thing. I finally got to the place where I'm like, if I get it, I get it. God knows. I could have died in China. I could have died as a baby because I almost suffocated. So my mom found me before I, and, 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 and resuscitated. I was already blue when she found me. I rolled onto a pillow or something and almost died as, a, as an infant. I mean, I could have died so many different ways. But I have to believe that somehow God is ultimately in control of my life. And whether I die because of COVID or die because of a heart attack or die of old age, however I die, God's the one that controls the whole. Not that I live foolishly. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not doing that. I'm not skydiving. And, I mean, that's not necessarily foolish, but I'll stay away from that one still. But, you know, you know what I mean? I mean I'm not going to be doing, doing things that, that are stepping outside of what I feel comfortable. But there's other things I'm going, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to live in fear any longer. I can't live in fear. Because that's not who Jesus made me to be. In Hebrews, um, the writer of the Hebrews says this in chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy, or he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. 
and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus came specifically. One of the reasons Jesus came was to set people free from their fear of death. I want that to settle in because all of us face that. Death is um, one of the premier fears. Disease and death are one of the, the premier fears that we face in our world. Universal. How are we okay? Are, are we okay with facing death? Are, are we okay if the today we were to die? Would we be ready? Will we have peace? Even if we have no control over it. God says he provides three things to guarantee, help us overcome our fears, our dark valleys, those things of death, all those foreboding, those, those situations which we have no control over. Three things that stands out. One is his name. We've talked about that already. He guarantees his name. There's no place where God goes, oh, I didn't see that one. Oops, sorry guys, I messed up. God, God never messes up. He, he sees it all. He sees it all. The second and third thing is this, his rod and his staff. Because David says there, his rod and staff, they comfort me. I, did, I tried to find out the difference between rod and staff and what were the differences in it. Everybody seemed to have a different opinion on it, but the best I can come up with is the rod is like the scepter, signifying kingship, signifying authority. Again, tying into that whole aspect of his name. It represents the power and the presence of God himself. So it says, the power and the presence of God is with you. His rod is with you. His staff, his, the staff is more like a shepherd's staff. That's the other, the other instrument that they had, which is used for protecting against wild animals, against, and it's for counting and for guiding. Because shepherds would often use the, the, you know, the staff to kind of prod sheep kind of in the right direction because he always had one that was kind of off the narrow way, right? And so he'd always have to kind of guide them and say, oh no, back this way. You go that way, you're in the thickest, in the thicket, in the branches, in the, in, you know, off the cliff or wherever. And so the, that's what the staff was for. It was more for, for protection and for guidance. No matter how you define the terms, rod or staff, either way, we got them both. Plus, we have his name. We have it all. It's a complete package. And therefore, as Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13, which probably many of you have read, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me to take you through the dark valleys? I will lead you through those times. 
I will be there. But you have to, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. You see, we want the promises of God, but we don't want the dark valleys to go with them. But to get to the mountaintops, you've got to go through the valleys. They come together. And so, as we read this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. As we close today, I've got two questions. First one is, what are the dark valleys that create fear and nervousness in you? You may not call it a fear, but let's call it nervousness, because sometimes it's hard to differentiate between fear and nervousness. Call it whatever you want. And you may not know what they are, so the best thing is just bow your head and say, okay, Jesus, what are the things that I'm nervous about? What are the things I'm fearful of? What are the deepest things that I may not have even told anybody or, or even nervous or scared to speak out loud? We all have them. I've got them. You have them too. Ask me, Jesus, what am I fearful for? What am I nervous about? You may need to reflect on it later this week, too. Maybe something that you need to spend some time on. But I, when we face those down, see, I had to face that, my nervousness, my fears. I had to face getting sick with COVID. I had to face all that. By the way, I had COVID and I made it through. So, you know, mind you, I probably got a milder, milder strain than the initial one. And Vance never even got it. And we never separated. I've got to mention that in that story. Is she never got it? Why? I have no idea. Except God is the one who allows us to get it or not get it according to Jesus. And I've known that in other couples, in other families as well. Someone will get it, and someone in the same household, the others won't get it at all, even though they did nothing to separate. Because God is ultimately in control. We have to believe that. Or What's the alternative? The other alternative is that we have to control everything. What are the darkest valleys that create fear and nervousness in you? That's the first question. And the second question is this. How does God want you to walk, or how, how do you want God to walk with you through the darkest valleys? Do you want Him to walk with you through the darkest valleys? Will you trust the shepherd to lead you. In other words, listen for his voice to guide you. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a world that is all about control. We can control temperature in the room, we can control ambiance, we can turn the lights up or down, we can light candles, we can turn on the lights, we can adjust the speed on our vehicle, 
We can choose our career. We can choose our spouse. We can choose our house. Everything is designed to be about us controlling. And yet there's some things that we have no control over. Because sometimes the healthiest of people have heart attacks. Sometimes the healthiest people get cancer. And some people get COVID and others don't. And God, that shows us that ultimately you, God alone, are the one who chooses our future. You lead us into our future. You guide us into our future. And God, we have to believe that you're ultimately in control. That the God who created the universe, who sees the stars, who created every one of them, and magnificently put them all into balance and so they circle one another who created this world in which we live and created all the, the nuances and the balances in nature with all the bacteria and the amino acids and the animals that all work together to create this place we call Earth. The God who controls, who set that all into place, also looks at our lives and knows what is best for us. God, you know what is what we can face, what we can't face. And God, the path for each of us is so different. It may be the same path of righteousness, but it looks so differently because there's different valleys and different hills that we have to face. God, meet us as we face our fears, as we face death. And now none of us here are planning on dying soon. But God, if we deal with that now, then it doesn't matter when or how we die. We're ready. We're ready. Because we met you. Meet us today, Jesus. Meet us today. Help us to deal with those fears, those things inside of us that make our heart beat faster, that make us nervous, things we sometimes are even afraid to to announce or to speak of. And then show us how to step beyond that and to move beyond that so that we might walk in faith and in boldness and in peace with you. Our world needs that. Our world needs this message of hope. And God, you want to give it to us. Work it out in us so that we can be the living demonstration of it. And we'll give you the glory, Jesus, in your name.